Mikey, Mikey came from, uh, from Ballarat when Eugen first started here in Melbourne um, with, with Tom and Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was born in Tasmania. We won't hold it against him. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but Mikey, Mikey's been a huge blessing and, um, and uh, a big part of the reason you can all sit in the seats that you're in today. Um, so, because he was one of the faithful people serving in the, in the beginning when this church first started. So, um, I like to honour people like him because um, God honours uh, those like you. So, I appreciate uh, your servant heart. And I can't wait to hear the message uh, that God's put on your heart. So, um, you're going to be sharing on John chapter 4. So, we're going to, there's three preachers tonight, John chapter 4. John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. So, away you go. Thank you. Gosh, I hope I can live up to that. Okay, so yeah, John chapter 4 is where we're going to start. So this evening I want to talk to you about Jesus, the soul winner. So we've been talking a little bit about um, Nepal and evangelism, so this flows on beautifully from that. So uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which isn't John chapter 4, but in Luke 19, verse 10, he said that he came to seek and save the lost. Yeah, Uh, this was his mission, and um, we see a really good example of this in John chapter 4. So if you haven't already, can you turn to John chapter 4? And I'm going to start reading in verse 3. And uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the passage, and uh, I may interject, and I will interject with some thoughts as we go along, and then I'll hopefully offer a challenge or two at the end. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Okay, so so he being Jesus, verse 3, chapter 4 of John. So, uh, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. All right, let's pause right there. Okay, two verses in and we're starting to, to elaborate. Okay, so what's important to know here is that Jewish people hated Samaritans. Okay, and it says he had to go through Samaria. Now they hated Samaritans and vice versa. They had this huge thing going on. Um, it wasn't just a hatred, they, they utterly despised each other, right? So much so that if you were travelling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, Samaria's right in the middle, they would go all the way around by foot, yeah? Or maybe a donkey or camel, do they have camels? Maybe. Um, and, and so that's, how they would, that, that's what they would do. But Jesus, it says he had to go through Samaria. Now, we don't know if it was because, I don't know, maybe there was roadworks on the other way or I'm not sure... Or, or maybe, no, they didn't, did they? Um, but but it, perhaps it was that he, he had to go because he felt compelled by, you know, the spirit in him to, to go around. And so that's, I'm thinking it was probably the latter. Anyway, let's keep reading. So eventually in verse 5, he came to the Samaritan village of Sikar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Okay, let's pause. So, now why did John mention that this Samaritan woman showed up alone in the middle of the day? It says that, she, that um, Jesus was there about noontime. Why do they mention that? That's a good question, Joel. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so during biblical... I've actually got that written down. <clears throat> during biblical times, drawing water and chatting at the well was like the social highlight. Of, of the women's day that was part of the, the culture for the women to get together and gossip around the well. 
Okay. So this is the normal thing. But it would be done early in the morning or it would be done late in the evening when it was cooler. It was very hot. So the middle of the day was not when they would be there. All right, so why is that a big deal? Well, this woman arrives at lunchtime in the heat of the day by herself and no one else is around because she was an outcast from her own people. She was rejected by other Samaritans she was, because she was an immoral woman. Okay? She, had, she was on her sixth partner and back in those days that was a big deal. Right? Even 50 years ago that would that'd be a huge deal. But we're talking, you know, 2,000 years ago. That's a big deal. So she was an outcast. And uh, she had quite the stigma around her. And, and also, let's not forget that Jesus, it says that Jesus was tired and weary from his journey. Right? The disciples had left him there to rest while they went into town to grab takeaway or drive through or whatever they were getting. So That's crazy. I'm glad you're listening, Jaden. Good job. So, so along comes this adulterous Samaritan woman. Now, if this were me and, and, and this sort of person came along and I was a Jew and I was in that situation, I think I'd be pretty good if I were to sit down and just give her a little smile and a nod. Hello. That would be, that'd be I think, you know, I'm really doing the Lord's work, just to be pleasant. That would, have, that would bear such a witness to her. She'd go, wow, you're so kind saying hello. I think... And the fact that Jesus was that, I mean, when you're tired, when you're that, really that tired from it, you've been walking all day, the last thing you want to do is have a conversation with someone, let alone a Samaritan woman if you're a Jew, let alone a Samaritan woman being a, if being a man. Now, this isn't being sexist. This, this, this is the time, of the, the, the time that it was. The culture was that women were considered to be second rate as well. So not only is she Samaritan, not only is she an adulteress, but she's a woman as well, right? So she is the despised of the despised, right? But Jesus is not just going to say hello. He's not going to ignore her. He's going to have a conversation. So in verse 7, continuing on, it said, Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy and take away. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. There that is. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. So Jesus takes the conversation from a natural situation and he brings up the spiritual situation, right? He brings up spiritual matters because he's concerned about everyone he meets. He wants to share the good news with everybody. So he takes every opportunity, even though he's tired, even though he wants to probably go to sleep, he's willing to have that conversation. But sir, she said in verse 11, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? She doesn't get it. It's like um, uh, Nicodemus, you know, how am I going to get born again if I have to go into my mother's womb, right? She, she doesn't get this thing. And besides, you, you, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals endured? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will, be, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. Still doesn't understand. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. 
I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Then they discussed who the true worshippers of God were. She still wanted, I think she wanted to change the subject. Oh, but the Samaritans are this and no, the Jews are that. And Jesus talks about worshipping God in spirit and in truth, not in a temple in Samaria or in, in Jerusalem. So in verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So then down 10 more verses in verse 39, we see that many Samaritans believed because she went and spoke to them. Uh, and they, they pleaded with her, would you stay with us for two more days? Stay with us, stay with us. And he stayed for two more days sharing the gospel in Samaria. Uh, and, and it's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus took this despised woman and made her the vessel in which a whole group of, a whole village came to know him. So he enlists these people. He enlists the, uh, the despised and the rejected for his, for his work. So my first challenge is, as I've said, Jesus was a, a Jewish male. Uh, he's son of God, but he was born in, into the Jewish male culture that was not only willing to talk to but have a deep spiritual conversation with a despised Samaritan woman, despised by the Jews, despised by other Samaritans, considered second class because she was a woman. Jesus associated with her and with other people like her, like tax collectors and prostitutes and, and crucified thieves. He was willing to talk to anybody. And so the challenge is, who are, who, are we, who are we reaching out to? Do we only reach out to those people that, that we're comfortable with? Are we, are we willing to reach out to the despised of the despised, even if that means hurting our own reputation? I mean, reaching out to the Samaritan woman in Jesus' days probably, probably similar to reaching out to um, the despised of today would be like a, a pedophile or a rapist or a murderer. You know, you know, I find this really challenging. Would we speak to these people? You know, I find it hard enough to talk uh, talking with Jesus about Jesus to people that I actually like, um, but to speak to people that are outside of my comfort zone—that's it's, it's really challenging, anyway. And my second challenge is that we can all really relate to the Samaritan woman because, in in all reality, we are the despised. We've all been we've all been despised. We've all experienced rejection at some point. I mean, who hasn't felt rejected by someone at some point? Who hasn't been rejected by people? Who hasn't felt utter shame for things that you've done? When we've all done things that bring us shame. But Jesus isn't going to ignore us. He's going to be, he's going to be there. He's going to not ignore us on the side of the road or at the well. He's going to be the one that's going to give us the words of eternal life. And he's there for us. The woman came alone to her place of shame, but Jesus met her there in her place of shame. Jesus meets us where we're at. And yet Jesus called out, the sin, called out her sin, yeah? He said, he, he said that you've been doing these adulterous things. 
And actually in Matthew 4, verse 7, it says that from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this, this, occur, this occurs in Matthew, but it occurs just chronologically, just after John chapter 4, that he starts preaching about repentance. And repentance means to change your mind and turn back, turn away in the opposite direction from the sin that we're doing. So as I said at the start, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the despised and the rejected. That was his mission. It still is his mission because he uses the despised, as I said. He uses the despised and the rejected to join in with his mission, and that's us. So thank you. Yeah, all right. Um, Well done, Mike. That's awesome. Awesome word. Some key things to just take out of that and um, and meditate. But yeah, we'll bring our next preacher up is Isaac. Give him a hand. I think it's the first time preaching on a Sunday. So encourage the guy, would you? <laughs> Give him a few amens. You need that when you're preaching, right? Yeah. Unless it's not correct doctrine, then... Please, please, be my, be my, be my um, But uh, yeah, so I've known Isaac since... Um, he was four years old, and um, he's got some amazing parents on fire for God, and um, yeah, he's a, he's a fine young man, so I'm um, looking forward to hearing what you've got to share, mate. Go for it. I <clears throat> uh, just wanted to say that uh, when I first found out I was going to be preaching tonight, I was very scared. I was kind of, I don't know, I had this feeling in my heart, I was like, nah, this is not for me. Ross has made the worst decision of his life asking me. Uh, I wanted to run out of my house. I was like, uh, mm, nah, not for me. But uh obviously discussed it with uh, my dad, and I kind of just prayed on it, and I was just sitting there like, oh, should I do this, should I not? And I got this word that, um, you know, I kind of just realized that if, uh, if Ross is asking me, he's obviously heard this from God, that I should be... Uh, preaching today I'm, I'm thankful that he did that and I just want to just be obedient just to God first of all that he's uh you know asked me to come preach here today and just for Russ as well just as being you know a leader of mine I just want to be obedient to both of them so thank them just for letting me preach here so uh today I'll be preaching on uh John chapter 5 and I'll be talking about Jesus who's the greatest physician now um Many of you might not know what the word physician means, but uh, the interpretation I took was kind of like a, a healer, someone who's a healer. So um, when I first read the chapter, I was kind of like, yeah, I remember this story. This is a pretty memorable story from when I was a child, but I didn't know where to start. So I kind of prayed, and I, I'm a person who likes to analyze a lot. So I drew a lot of connections over the place, and I decided we'll start just by moving down from top to bottom. So uh, we can see from verse 2 to 5 it reads, John chapter 5, verse 2 to 5 it reads, Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. So we can see straight off the bat that there's obviously a man there who cannot walk and it's been 38 years since he has been walking. Now in verse 6 it reads, When Jesus saw him, he had knew that he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, Would you like to get well? 
Now, if we put ourselves in the shoe of the lame man, we can see that uh, if we were sitting there and a stranger had come up and asked us, would we like to get well? Our first you know, initial answer in this day and age would be, oh, he's going to give me some medicine or he's going to take me to a doctor or he's going to provide some form of tablet, maybe something that will make us feel better. And now in this situation, the man presumed that Jesus was going to help him to the well, which he previously could not get into. And he responds in verse 7 by saying, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Notice how many of the people uh, in this story just passed by the lame man. They didn't have any compassion on him. They didn't have any you know, guilt that he was there and that they weren't helping him. They just moved on with their life and left him behind. Now, um, what Jesus was talking about with this question was not natural hearing. He was talking about something that some of us can't grasp, which is supernatural hearing. He wasn't talking about, you know, antibiotics or a doctor. He was talking about being healed in the, super, in the supernatural. Now, in verse 8 to 9, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Now, this is not something that can happen without faith. It didn't just take Jesus just to say, tell him, stand up and walk, but it took childlike faith from the lame man and obedience to Jesus for him to stand up. He couldn't be there if he hadn't expected his legs to be healed. So the man had done nothing to receive this, by the way. He wasn't there you know, with a sign saying, Jesus, come here. I'm here looking for healing. Please come. He was, he was laying there and, you know, there were, as it said, there were a multitude of people there, many of them who were sick, who Jesus couldn't have gone to, but it was through grace that Jesus had went to him. Now, what's funny is the place that they were at was called Bethesda, which from Aramaic translates into English, the house of grace. So, connections there. <laughs> uh, now, in verse 9 to 15... It reads, Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said the man who was cured, they said to the man who was cured, You can't walk on the Sabbath. The Lord does not allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, The man who healed me told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then that man went to the Jewish leaders and told them that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, the man could have done anything after Jesus had healed him. He could have walked off. He could have gone away, maybe to see his family, maybe to see his friends, but he chose to stay in that area. And after listening to Jesus, the man who was cured had now received healing from Jesus and had recognized the grace that Jesus showed upon him. And we can see this through him re- reciprocating and telling, you know, essentially the world, or as he told the Jewish leaders, he recognized that Jesus had healed him and that Jesus was a true healer in this. It wasn't the people who passed him by that had anything to do with this. It wasn't the many people who left him on the side, but it was Jesus, the one that he could rely on, the one who took care of him. Now... After reading this, I have two key points that I just want to take away from this one. The first being that we, as God's people, must be people who other people can lean on. 
So we can't be people who see the sick or see the lame on the side or see anyone in trouble and not have compassion. You know, we must have a caring heart for these people because as God's children, you know, we learn from our father and our father had compassion over us when we were, you know, basically in the, in the depths of hell. You know, he grabbed us by our hand and pulled us out. And we just have to, you know, do as our father shows us. And that's what he shows us. Now, so, uh, the second point being, where am I? Mm. Oh, sorry. Uh, the second point being from the point of view of the lame man. When he was receiving he- healing, he had childlike faith and obedience for Jesus, which led him to being healed. I know many people, you know, in this room that are sick or that have been sick for weeks and some for years. And we can't go around living our life moping on about that saying, I'm not getting any better, I'm not getting any better, if we don't have any belief, any faith in our hearts that we can change. Unless we have that faith that God can heal us, nothing is ever going to happen. You know, it's just, you know, um, you know no works are going to happen when faith isn't there because it's dead. We need faith for change to be there. Now, um, as the lame man, you know, lay there, he had faith that Jesus was going to pick him up. Well, not pick him up, Jesus was going to command him to stand up. And he did stand up. And, you know, that's the amazing thing that Jesus provides for us. You know, even when we're down and we're not feeling the best and we're just kind of all out of it, Jesus is just there ready just to pick us up and all it takes is that faith. And he, he just takes care of us. And that's all I have for this one. Awesome. Um, all right, where's Lucas? Come on down, encourage him as well. Um, is this your first time preaching as well? <laughs> it's good, it's a night for firsts. Um, I think I've known you about 12 years. Have you been, have you been in the church for about 12 years? Yeah? About 10, I reckon. About 10? Okay, give or take. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so Lucas, uh, very servant-hearted guy. Um, he uh, married to a beautiful lady over there, Manika. Uh, yeah, you got to amen that, right? Um, so, <laughs> um, and ha- they have a lovely, beautiful young girl. Um, so, yeah, let's uh, hear from you and yeah, go for it, mate. Thank you very much. Uh, I thought it'd be easier to go last, but it's actually—I reckon it might be harder. <laughs> very good preachers. Um, so, obviously, I'm doing um, chapter 6. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Lucas, and this is my first time preaching, so go easy on me. <laughs> Definitely a bit nervous. Um, so, yeah, as I said, if we can turn to chapter 6, verse 1. A bit higher. Um, so, it's, uh, this, my preach is on, um, uh, it is on Jesus, the bread of life. And verse 1 is Jesus feeds the 5,000. We all know the, the story of how he fed the 5,000. Um, so if we can start verse 1. After Jesus crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs. As he healed the sick, uh, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebrations. 
Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, he only meant half the people. And the reason he meant half the people is because about 50% of the people owned Fords, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, he loved them too. Some would say he loved them more because they needed it. But seriously, he was asking Philip and all the others so that they would see that the need was far too great. Um, so continuing verse 7, Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Um, so yeah, already you know, all the people, they were just doubting that they looked out into the crowd, saw 5,000 people and they've gone, we've only got five loaves and two bread and we're not going to be able to feed them with this. So, uh, so yeah, my, my thoughts on that was that Jesus was uh, making a point of this by pointing out that um, the bread and the fish that they got would not be enough. And also another thing was... Um, that it hadn't come from any of them. It had actually come from an outside source, which, in, to me, it sort of represents you know, how God gives us a gift to, to bless onto others. It doesn't come from us, it's from God in the first place. Um, so continuing on in verse 10, uh, Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed... It to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. So, shouldn't have stapled it, me. So, when God gives us a blessing of any kind, we should first, you know, first of all, we need to thank God for it, and you know, acknowledge that it's not of us; it's it's from Him. Um, and then, second, secondly, if um, God calls us to share that with others. We've got to be willing to do that, you know, not to just hold on to the blessing that he's given us and, and use it for our own will. Um, continuing in chapter, uh, verse 11, uh, 12. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now go and gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up uh, all the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the scraps by the people who had eaten from the five loaves and two fish. So out of all of that, to me, um, I think Jesus was making a point that too often we, we look out there and we see this massive need um, to feed everyone. And instead, if, if God's only given us five loaves and two fish, then, then all we're called to do is to share that. We're not called to look out there and think that, oh, it's way too big, we're never going to be able to feed them. We just give what God gave us and leave the multiplication up to him. As you can see, obviously, in this uh, example, you know, there was only five loaves and two fish to start with, but after everyone had eaten, there was 12 baskets that came back, so even more than what actually went out. Um, Yeah, and and we don't necessarily need to see, you know, his plan unfold, but in this case, I believe Jesus was using the 12 baskets to to show to the disciples that... um, yeah, he, he's uh, going to provide abundantly, not just physically, but also spiritually as well. You know? yeah. 
Um, so an example of something like that in my life would be um, there was a time there when uh, me and Manika first got married and um, we wanted to buy a house. And we went to the bank and applied for a loan and the home lender basically turned around and said, your wage is too low, we can't give you the loan of the amount that you want for the house that you want to build. Um, the reason that had happened was because I'd actually, in the meat industry, I receive half my wage on the books and half off the books, and that's just how the meat industry works, unfortunately. Um, but I turned around to my boss and I said to him, and we'd felt convicted as well to declare all of it anyway, um, but I spoke to the boss and told him that I wanted to put everything on the books and we'd prayed about it and sort of felt that God was telling us to do this. We also you know, realised that putting everything on the books after tax was taken out, we we're actually going to be on less of a wage, but that's, you know, that's what we felt God telling us to do. Um, and then after I spoke to the boss, he was you know, not happy with putting it on the books and whatnot. Um, but through prayer and everything... I actually got a job offer from my my old job and it was actually half the hours and double the pay. So it was, yeah, God just provided amazingly. Yeah. Um, lost me points now. Yeah, so yeah, honouring God is more important than anything. Um, uh, that's it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Get sweaty. Yeah, no, it's good.